Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the Kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. So thank you, Kevin um, Forlong from Queensland in Australia. I know uh, you're on the other side of the world, the time zone difference. Thank you so much for being with us. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Take it away. It's all yours. Bless you. Thank you, sir. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or evening, or whatever it is, wherever you are. And uh, it's uh, uh, 11 a.m. in the morning here, and uh, in the beautiful Sunshine Coast. So there you go. Um, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to share on uh, this subject today, which is uh, incredibly critical uh, in the season. It has been all the way through, but I think these are days in which even more uh, focus and understanding coming into these areas. And um, as uh, Pastor Glenn said before, uh, the session that you've just uh, been in with, uh, with Derek and this settle session really flow together. Um, and uh, it was a great session, uh, Derek, so thank you so much for that. Uh, I want to begin just by sharing a few thoughts, simple thoughts about the emergence of ministry gifts uh, that apply to apostles as they apply to every other area. There is a progression uh, in the emergence and maturing of uh, the five you know, ministry gifts, just like there is uh, in every other gift in the body of Christ and ministry in the body of Christ. And you see it reflected in Scripture, uh, for instance, in Acts 16 with Timothy. Uh, Paul arrives in town and discovers this guy, Timothy. And Timothy, it says in Acts 16.1, he's, he's well spoken of by the brethren uh, in Lystra and Iconium. So he's known through that region. So already this young guy uh, is being being recognized for the hand of God upon his life. And, uh, and of course, Paul takes him on and he begins to emerge into his apostolic calling. We see the same thing with Paul. In Acts 13, he's numbered with the prophets, uh, the prophets and teachers. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit speaks to that group to send he and Barnabas out. And this is the activation, if you like, or the initial phase of Saul, as he was then called, becoming Paul the apostle that we know him of. So initially, he's identified with the teachers and prophets, and uh, that would be true for most apostolic ministries that I'm familiar with. They are initially called or recognized as evangelists, teachers, pastors, uh, prophets, whatever it may be, as part of their emergence into, their, into the apostolic mantle that they carry. And the reality is that an apostle can function in those uh, different ministry expressions, at least to some degree. And so like all ministry gifts, we would expect the recognition to begin to occur initially within their local uh, church framework, and I'm using that word church and uh, whatever, uh, but within their, their congregation, within their connections, we would expect there to be some recognition. And depending on the gift and calling on the person and the sphere of their influence, you know, that uh, recognition from other leaders in the body of Christ begins to 
uh, be known across a region, across a nation or internationally uh, and so on. And like all uh, ministries, a, 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 an apostle will go through a process of maturing to reach the full expression of who they're called to be. And um, I, I sometimes talk about them coming into their office, you know, and an office is not a biblical word, but it is a concept that's helpful to us. You know, people start off and they're identified according to their gift, but as they emerge and mature through both life experience and ministry experience, uh, you know, they grow in wisdom and in their anointing and, and particularly with an apostle in their uh, they become recognized with the governmental authority and wisdom and uh, begin to fulfill the full expression of their gift and calling. And so let's talk about the, the, the apostolic mantle, the apostolic office, and uh, just in recognizing there is an emerging process. And one of the things that you do see from time to time is young people that, you know, have that gift and begin to refer to themselves as an apostle or have others refer to themselves as an apostle uh, before they have that mantle of, a, of spiritual authority and uh, the ability to carry it. So it's a bit of an overstretch based on uh, gifting rather than uh, seeing the mature expression of that emerge. But the word apostle, as I'm sure most of us have, are familiar with, is a uh, Roman military term and an apostle was generally a centurion that was sent to establish the culture of Rome uh, in their newly conquered territories. And they may or may not have been part of the conquering army, but they were sent to establish the culture of Rome. And in fact, in some of the territories that Rome took, they would totally destroy the infrastructure so they could rebuild it according to the pattern of Rome. And establishing kingdom culture is the primary function of a New Testament apostle. When we use the word culture, we're using it to uh, encapsulate four uh, things. One is beliefs, uh, behavior, values, and worldview. Those things together really encapsulate the concept of culture. So beliefs is, is what is right, what we consider to be right and true. Behavior is what we do, how we do things here. Uh, values is what is most important. And worldview is how we see ourselves in relation to the rest of the world, how we see the world around us and that kind of thing. And so an apostle uh, is primarily about establishing culture that reflects the kingdom of God uh, within their sphere of influence. And and you see in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, well-known passage, but we just read it uh, together this morning. And now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built, past tense, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together grows in a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together, present tense, uh, for a dwelling place uh, of God in the spirit. And so we see that apostles and prophets are foundational, they're interdependent. And of course, the early church is established upon the historical foundation of the church is on the apostles of the Lamb and primarily Old Testament prophets, but also New Testament prophets. And, uh, and we do see that uh, the New Testament apostles would interpret uh, Old Testament prophets and define New Testament doctrine on the basis of that interpretation. The classic example of that would be 
Peter on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God is poured out and people are saying, what's going on? Are they drunk? What's happening? And he stands up and he says, no, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he begins to define New Testament uh, doctrine on the basis of the ministry of the Old Testament prophet. And so we see them, the apostles and prophets working together. And then, of course, not only are they foundational historically in the original foundation of the church, of the early church, but they are foundational to the ongoing building of the church. And we will unpack that as we go along. And uh, so apostles, they objectively teach the word of God and confront the will of man. They're a, a master builder, a strategist. Their focus is on structure and function and, and equipping the body so that it functions in divine order with everybody in place. And so they confront mindsets and, and challenge paradigms. And, and, and so objectively teaching the word of God, where, whereas a prophet will subjectively preach the word of God and, uh, and from an inspiration perspective and touch the heart and, mo and emotions. So the prophet is an inspirer, a motivator. The, the main impartation uh, from a prophet's ministry is that of faith, and they're motivated to impart life and spiritual energy. And so you have uh, apostles that build the house with structure and strategy and so on, and prophets that breathe life into that. And then when you come to 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it says that God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And so uh, the thing is that in church life, we have traditionally appointed first pastors and teachers. And uh, there is a, and, and while there's a critical part of the five uh, gift ministries, God has appointed first apostles and prophets, apostles, secondly, prophets. And um, one of the issues is that apostles and prophets are the primary break-open ministries to establish the kingdom of God in a region and deal with spiritual authority, changing spiritual atmospheres, and we'll talk about that uh, in a few moments. Whereas a pastor, their primary uh, grace gifting is to gather and nurture and create a safe and secure um, uh, you know, environment for, for people to be nurtured. And so they're primarily not a break open ministry. And, uh, and so we, we see, and I, I, I've traveled a lot over a lot of years, been in ministry more than 50 years and ministered in many nations and many socioeconomic situations, all sorts of different denominational settings. And, uh, you know, you see so often that people, uh, groupings within the body of Christ that are led with people with primarily a strong pastoral gift find it difficult to really break open their city, break open their region. And that's the primary function of apostles and prophets. The other thing that's interesting in this verse, when you go through this less first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and on down. Uh, and you get to this word administrations, which is number seven in the list. Uh, the word administration there in the Greek is actually the pilot of a ship. So it's talking about the one that steers the way, the one that leads. So it's talking about a leadership gifting. 
And one of the issues, I think, in terms of defining and recognizing uh, New Testament prophets in today's world, they're often defined on the basis of their leadership capacity. And uh, that began to emerge in the early 1990s, uh, I first became aware of that way of thinking uh, through some work that was done by uh, various people and published, and, um, and the definition of an apostle was based on their leadership capacity. But actually, uh, the church is not led by people with a primary leadership gift. It's to be led with people that have a spiritual mantle and a grace upon their life as apostles and prophets and, and the other, you know, the rest of the fivefold ministry. Um, and leadership skills can be taught. They can be learned. Uh, and obviously an apostle uh, to be effective or any other gift ministries to be effective do need to learn how to be good leaders. But I just want to make the point that actually through the last 20, 30 years, there has been such a focus on leadership and leadership development and strategic leadership that in much of the church, we have lost a clear understanding of what the different five gift ministries carry, the mantle that they carry. It's not what they know, it's what they carry in the realm of the spirit and what they release. And uh, it, the Ephesians 4 passage, which is in front of us now, um, talking about the five gift ministries um, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, and then down verse 16, talks about what every joint supplies and the effective working by which every part does its share, then the body is built up and, and so on. So what we see is that it's critical for each of those five ministry gifts to find expression and function in order for the body to actually come to maturity, because they each carry something different in the realm of the spirit, in the realm of revelation, their anointing, the grace upon them, and they each contribute something different into the uh, body of Christ in order for people to come uh, to full maturity. And that is the primary motivation of an apostle, is to see the body coming together. So there in your notes, if you have them, uh, just listed a few things. They're not in any particular order, but to me are the, the critical things that we would expect to see in the function and, uh, of a mature apostle. Number one is a master builder. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he talks about the basis of his ministry function. And he says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom uh, that has been revealed to us through the Spirit. And then, of course, in uh, chapter 3 and verse 10, he talks about, according to the grace of God, given me as a wise master builder. So uh, a, an apostle uh, would understand the strategies of heaven and be able to build that in the earth. It's like God said to Moses, build the tabernacle according to the pattern I showed you on the mountain. And an apostle will understand the strategy of how to, how to shift the atmosphere and build the kingdom, extend the kingdom within a region or a city or nations or whatever it may be. And they operate from revelation, not education. 
They are kingdom-minded more than local church-minded. They will have respect and understanding of local church congregations and probably lead them and those sorts of things, but they have a wide perspective determined by the sphere of their authority. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 10, where he talks about the word actually is translated uh, sphere. It's probably better translated territory. He talks about the territory that God had given him that reached even to the Corinthians. So he understood that he had spiritual authority and responsibility over that region and over uh, those groupings. And so uh, an apostle will operate with revelation relating to this sphere of influence that God has given them, the geographical uh, sphere, whether it be, you know, citywide, regional, national, international, whatever. The second thing is uh, a father uh, Paul talks about, though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you don't have many fathers. And an apostle, a mature apostle, have the heart and motivation of a father, uh, and they're able to reproduce, and, you know, not just reproduce, but to mature their sons and daughters. A true father in the natural is not just just one who who able to reproduce, but they're able to grow their children into maturity and help them uh, discover their purpose in life. Uh, one of the uh, sayings that I, a statement I picked up, I don't know, a few years ago, I don't remember where it came from, but uh, many of you may have heard of it. It's not new, but it, it talks about a father giving their children roots and wings, the two things, roots and wings. Roots is about foundations. It's about identity. It's about understanding who you are and wings so that you can fly and do what you're called to do and be all that you're called to be. And an apostle will be motivated by those kind of things, a father heart of care and support and all of that sort of thing, but at the same time wants to see change and growth. They're committed to see development in the lives of those that they lead and mentor. They are a disciple maker. And there's a difference between a believer and a disciple. And that's a sermon all on its own. But, you know, uh, Jesus makes that very clear. And you see it pictured through the Gospels and through the New Testament. And an apostle is, is not motivated so much by having people become believers, although that is a, obviously a critical component, but they're really motivated by building disciples, because the kingdom is only extended uh, through the multiplication of disciples. And, uh, and so that becomes a critical motivation for them. Uh, the third thing is a power ministry, and this is a really important thing, I think, when it comes to defining who are the real New Testament apostles. Uh, Paul talks about uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And in 1 Corinthians 2, he gives a reason for that. He says, so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And um, it's, it's important to notice that he's talking about the signs of an apostle are signs and wonders and, and mighty deeds. It's more than just healing. Healing the sick is the ministry of every believer. Jesus said, if you, if you believe in me, uh, you'll cast out devils in my name, you'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's more than that. This is supernatural demonstration of the risen king. King Jesus is alive and well, and here's the demonstration of his authority, his power in the earth. And um, the gospel of, of the kingdom requires, requires both declaration and demonstration. That is the culture of the kingdom. 
And so uh, we would expect uh, the signs of an apostle to be power ministry that is significant. So that the, and, and Paul is very clear, you know, it, I don't want your faith resting in an intellectual debate, but in an encounter with the power of God, being born again by the spirit of God in a life transforming way and encountering God in an ongoing way. And, um, you know, it's possible for people to become Christianized. They adopt a set of values and a belief system out of intellectual understanding, out of education, if you will, rather than being powerfully born again by, a, by the Spirit of God, having a life-transforming encounter and actually going on to have more encounters. I, I believe that the kingdom of God is extended through people encountering God in life-transforming ways and then creating and facilitating other people having the same kind of encounters with God. And so that becomes a, a major part of an apostle's expression, the power ministry, which brings me to the next point, which is they change spiritual atmospheres. There's an interesting passage in Acts chapter 19 talking about the seven sons of Sceva uh, who were uh, uh, exorcists. And uh, so they meet a guy that's uh, demon-possessed, and they say, uh, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out. And the demon turns on them, and he says, Jesus I know, uh, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? The point I want to make is Paul's authority is known in the spirit realm. He's known in the spirit world. And, and we would expect that because of the mantle, the power ministry mantle on a mature apostle, that they would be established to break open uh, spiritual atmospheres over cities and regions according to their, uh, you know, the, the sphere of influence that God has given them. And you see that in Paul's life. Uh, the ability to break over an atmosphere, over a city, a region, over nations. And Acts 19 is, is a good example of that. In, he goes into Ephesus and, you know, he's rejected by the Jews in the synagogue and he takes 12 uh, uh, disciples and starts to train them. And, it's, and it says that within two years, the whole of that surrounding region was impacted by the gospel. Um, and, uh, and so it's a critical component in the ability to establish kingdom culture and extend that the kingdom uh, in this sphere of authority and working together with prophets, breaking open uh, the uh, atmosphere. And then, of course, governmental wisdom, uh, you would expect that with a mature Apostle Acts 15, I think, is a great example of that, the council in Jerusalem. And after a lot of debate has gone on, James stands up and he says, men and brethren, listen to me. And he brings a conclusion in the midst of quite divisory discussion that's gone on over an extended period of time. But with a word of wisdom, he brings a peaceful conclusion. An apostle would be a peacemaker, ability to settle disputes and bring unity through wisdom and the mantle of spiritual authority that they carry. Uh, 
And, you know, the, the corporate five gift ministries uh, in Ephesians 4 represent the headship of Christ in the church on the earth. They are his governmental in, uh, uh, oversight of the church and the purposes of the kingdom of God in the earth. And apostles are set first in this structure, in this governmental structure. And so we would expect a mature apostle to be functioning with governmental wisdom and with spiritual authority that enables him uh, or her to function uh, like that, and not from being a, a authoritarian, but carrying a mantle of spiritual authority that opens the way and makes uh, their wisdom effective. The sixth thing about an apostle, and I think this is a really important one, is there are people that are under authority. Uh, in Luke 7, you get the account of Jesus, uh, the centurion coming to Jesus, talking about his servant who's ill. And uh, Jesus said he'd come to the house and the centurion says, no, don't, you don't need to do that. I understand how authority works. You just say the word and my servant will be healed because I have servants. I say, go there and they do and do this and whatever. And Jesus goes, I haven't seen that kind of faith in, uh, in the whole of Israel. And so authority, you only carry authority when you're under authority and you access what you come under. And so uh, apostles understand that, or they should understand that. And Paul talks about this in his earlier ministry. I mean, you do have the example of Acts 15 that we just referred to, but then in Galatians 2, uh, Paul says, I went up by revelation, communicated with them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So Paul, throughout his life and ministry, has submitted himself to the apostles in Jerusalem and submitted his ministry to them for correction, adjustment, or whatever. And people and apostles understand if you have authority, uh, you have authority if you're under authority and they are connected relationally and uh, have a recognizable covering, if I can use that word, from other apostles or pastors or whatever it may be. And uh, I would suggest to you that an apostle that's not recognized by other apostles is probably not an apostle at all. And people that uh, go around, you know, like uh, independently are very dangerous. And, um, and so those are some of the hallmarks I see uh, uh, really important in the life of um, uh, modern apostles. And, and it's to some degree, uh, uh, some of those things are missing in some of the definitions that are being bandied around. So let's take that a little bit further and talk about the network or community that develops around a mature apostolic ministry. And, uh, of course, our example in all of these things is Jesus and his uh, apostolic team, if I can call them that. Uh, you know, there were three that were particularly close to him, Peter, James, and John. There was the 12. Then there was another grouping of 70, which he sent out on another occasion in pairs. Then there was 120 in the upper room, and they're all connected to Jesus on the basis of his mantle, his anointing, the compelling vision he carried, the authority and power that is seen and heard through his 
he's preaching and, you know, miracles and, and signs and wonders and all of those kind of things. And, and then through the book of Acts and Paul's various epistles, we see a clear picture of Paul with an apostolic team around him uh, of varying people, Timothy, Titus, and there's lots of others that come and go, and obviously part of that network uh, to some degree. And we see their influence in many different cities and nations and churches that were either established by them or had become part of that apostolic network and the influence that was expressed uh, through Paul and those that he sent to the various churches. Uh, it's interesting to notice that Paul in, uh, is an apostle to some. He's not an apostle to everyone. And you have in your notes a reference there that's 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9. Uh, it's an incorrect reference. I apologize. I don't quite know what I was doing there. But it should be 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 2, which says, if I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And then in chapter 10, verse 13, he says, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere or territory, which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. And so a minister is only an apostle to those who recognize their apostolic gift and ministry and relate to that. People that have a divine connection with a particular apostle, an apostle is is not an apostle to everybody, just like a pastor is not a pastor to everybody. He's only a, he can only pastor people that choose to be led by that particular pastor. The same applies in all of the gift ministries. Uh, an apostle is a caring, supportive father that has a concern for leaders and churches. And Paul, again, refers to that in, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. He talks about his deep concern for all the churches. And we see it reflected in his prayer life that he refers refers to uh, throughout his epistles as he, you know, he talks about his prayer life for the various churches and leaders and groups that are related to him. And so out of the mantle that an apostle carries, there is an emergence of a network or a community of ministers and believers that begin to relate to that apostle and draw from their gift, from their revelation, and come under their oversight at least to some degree. And, uh, you know, the anointing uh, makes people attractive. One of the things I, I'm always a little bit amused about when you actually look into the Gospels is that so often the people, the apostles uh, and, and the, the believers that followed Jesus would still follow him, but they didn't even know what he was talking about half the time. He'd, he'd be talking about something, then they'd be saying to him after, what are you talking about? What does that mean? You know, but they're still hanging around with him because of what he carries, the mantle on him. You see the same with David at Ziklag in 1 Corinthians 12. He's running for his life. He's not successful, and yet there's all a whole lot of different groups of guys that come to him and say, David, we are yours. We're in this, whether we live or die, there is a commitment to the person because of the anointing on their life. And I believe that's a really important, uh, you know, thing uh, in, in relating to any of the five ministry gifts, really. Uh, so let's just talk about what sort of a network emerges, what sort of uh, community emerges. Uh, it's a relational and supportive group. An apostle is marked by a father's heart. Uh, and those that connect with them recognize that. 
and want to draw from their level of insight and wisdom and support that can only come through an apostle. I, I said before that each of the five gift ministries are essential for the maturing of the church, and each of them carries something quite unique. And so you can't have the body of Christ coming to maturity without their exposure uh, to the ministry of an apostle. And there are people that recognize that an apostle carries something beyond just being a nice guy and a father and being supportive, but there's something about the wisdom, the mantle that's on them, the anointing, the grace on their life that they can draw from. And the second part of that, and well, as part of that, is uh, the network or the community be marked by apostolic revelation and wisdom. And what happens, I believe, so often is that other leaders across the body of Christ recognize the revelation and wisdom that the apostles operate in, and they realize their need for that input in order for their own ministry and vision to be fulfilled. I know in from the earliest days of our pastoral ministry, we were in Auckland, New Zealand, part of a denomination uh, and began to lead a very small broken church in one of the suburbs of Auckland City. And uh, with without understanding any of this, I just had something within me that uh, said to me, I need to find a, a spiritual father that has a, a bigger concept and a bigger mantle than I have in order to fulfill what we wanted to do in the region we were within the city. And uh, and then also in Melbourne, we were pastoring there quite a bit later in a larger church and in a couple of campuses and stuff. I believe that the success of our pastoral ministry was largely based on the fact that right throughout it, I had um, guys that I related to that were uh, apostles. In fact, in the in the first church in Auckland, we were part of a denomination and we appointed a guy as our apostolic uh, oversight, and he was from a totally different denomination. And this, I'm talking 1980, and back then, you know, nobody had heard of that, and it was kind of quite radical. We got a got a bit of flack for it, but I believe it was the input of the ap- uh, apostles' ministry and later uh, a mature prophet that we've related to related to for a number of years. Their input had been critical component in the effectiveness of the leadership of the churches that we led. So uh, I think that's the kind of revelation that draws people in under the mantle of an apostle. It's a kingdom-minded network. And I think, again, there are leaders and people within the body of Christ that want something beyond just local church growth. They're looking for something more. They want to change a region. They want to change a city. They want to impact something bigger. And the apostle carries the ability to strategically extend the kingdom of God beyond just local church growth. They have a bigger perspective. And so leaders and people within the body that want something more than that are drawn to relate uh, to the apostle. The network functions on relational authority and not positional authority. It's not an organization. It may be organized, but it because it's based on divine connection and, and relationship, it's a living organism. Uh, 
And the apostle's authority comes from the strength of that relationship and those that recognize their gift and calling and draw from their revelation and wisdom uh, and have chosen to submit to their leadership. Um, you know, John Maxwell in his um, uh, talking about the scale of leadership uh, many years ago, one of his early books, he talks about the different levels of leadership and the highest level of leadership uh, in, in his definitions was that of a relational leadership and operating on relational authority based on the fact that that leader had had so much influence over the lives of those that followed them that they could not imagine doing life without that leader being in their life. In other words, it, it made them effective and successful in every area of life. And you, you develop this mindset that I do not want to be disconnected from you. I want to be drawing from you and do life with you uh, in that way. It's a very strong relational commitment there. The network of, uh, objective is to empower, not control. The apostle's heart is to equip and mobilize the body of Christ and to empower and release people into their gifting, into their calling, and into their function. And it's not about control. It's about release. And, you know, any good father wants to see their spiritual sons and daughters go beyond where they can go. Every generation should stand on the shoulders of the previous generation, go further, jump higher, be more effective, you know, and uh, an apostle will, will applaud that and seek to facilitate that. And because of that, it's, it's, it's much more than a community or network that's just pastoral care. It's not pastors. Uh, I, I've seen some groups that, uh, you know, we'd re would refer to themselves as apostolic networks, but in fact, it's, it's pastoral care. It's, pa it, it's somebody pastoring the pastors. An apostle will be motivated by uh, facilitating change. They want measurable outcomes. They will be caring and supportive, but growth and development is a tangible uh, thing, something tangible. They want to see those outcomes, and so they're inspired to change mindsets and motivate people to go further and fulfill all they're called to do. It's like Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. He was about facilitating change that turned the early believers into disciples and into apostles. It wasn't about just come follow me, we're going to hang out together. It was come follow me and I'm going to bring some change into your life. I'm going to see you develop and grow into all that God's called you to be. And uh, it's the same thing that apostles are facilitators of uh, people having transformational power encounters with God. They're about uh, facilitating a change of mindsets, bringing down old strongholds, old traditions, old religious mindsets that, so that they can begin to facilitate the extension of the kingdom of God in and through them. Thanks for joining us today at The Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about the Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.